I'm tearing up. <laughs> it's just about hate. screamed right now, but I'm not even there. <laughs> now that's inspirational, Natalie. <laughs> I feel inspired today. Part two I, of I, this. Can, I could be here for another hour. <laughs> no. I always go, he winds up homeless on the street. It's my fault. <laughs> I don't know what got into my head, but I thought, I thought this thought, you know, if I'm working year-round, I might as well get paid year-round. <laughs> Sweet Talk is a weekly 20-minute podcast brought to you by the Continuing Education and Workforce Training Division of Idaho State University's College of Technology. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and subscribe today. Now, it's time to get started with Sweet Talk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sweet Talk, our weekly podcast here at Idaho State University's Continuing Education Workforce Training. I am, as always, your co-host here, Paul Dickey, the Video Instruction Manager and Apprenticeship Coordinator here at Sweet. And as Sweet. always, <laughs> and as always, my uh, co one of my co-hosts that joining me today is Gary Salazar, our director. Gary, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for the introduction, Paul. Love, love that logo behind you. I think that's awesome. Just keep doing that stuff, man. Uh, <laughs> this is an inside joke, Jay. Yeah. Jason, you'll catch it in a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, I'm we're ready. doing great. We're here in Pocatello at Idaho State University uh, enjoying another podcast. And Angela Wilhelm, our, our superb marketing coordinator who does an awful lot for us, she's joining us as well. Angela, how are you today? I'm doing well. Um wasn't too excited for the flurries this morning, but uh, it's beautiful. At least snow is beautiful. How are you guys? I, I'm doing. I'm doing well. Um, you know, I, 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 I wanted, if anyone listening knows, I'm still, I've been walking to work since June, and so I was walking through the snow. And actually, what I found that when it is snowing, it is actually warmer than it has been last <laughs> week. Or so oh, so yeah. I was like, I'm like walking through the snow, going, oh wow, it's actually comfortable. Um, so no, it's it actually is a nice Friday. We're recording this on a Friday, and it's it's a beautiful Friday, and I'm really enjoying the day, especially since. I'm out of here right after we're finished recording. <laughs> there you go again. And we'll deserve a <laughs> break too. Paul, thank you. Angela, thank you. Hey, we're here for a podcast with a return guest. Uh, we have a chef with us, an award-winning chef who, who has done some amazing things. And we're going to be wrapping up a, a series of three podcasts that we've had with him today. Chef uh, Jason Knapp from uh, Little Rock, from the area around Little Rock. He is a... Uh, uh, he's got a new job. He's been uh, traveling the world, if you, as we all talked about on the last podcast, and then decided to go back and work where now he's the executive chef and culinary specialist for performance foods in Little Rock. Did I get that right, Jason? You got it all right, man. All right. All right. <laughs> well, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, for those of you who uh, have seen and heard him before, you, you know that he has his own podcast now, Chef and Podcast, which is attracting a pretty good uh, number of listeners. So congratulations on that, uh, Jason. Thanks, that, that's awesome to hear. And for those of you who can see, uh, he's dressed up and he's looking real spiffy today in that chef outfit. There he goes. And and we're glad to have you back and joining us so much. Uh, thank you for making the time, Chef. Uh, appreciate your being here. How's the weather out there in uh, in Arkansas? It is not snowing. I'll tell you that it's uh, <laughs> it has been raining for about I think seventy two days straight. Ooh. And uh, today actually is the first day I've seen sunshine in probably a week. And so oh. I'm I'm pretty pumped to see the sun. It's going to disappear tomorrow, but it, oh. I'll soak it in right now and. 
try to get some uh, color on my bald head up here. There you uh, go. I appreciate the opportunity to be on Sweet Talk. It is my second favorite podcast of all time. So uh, <laughs> it's a close second to my own, of course. But mine actually was birthed out of this podcast. So really, uh, they're one of the same. I mean, they're they're awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, this it. this is what your fourth or fifth time on, on our on our podcast, Jason. Oh, Maybe so. Yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're you're practically a a, a guest co-host practically yes. well, and he has done that too i mean I'd, I'd say it's closer to family and i'm yeah. very very glad to have you here hey let, let me remind everybody uh we were doing three podcasts about the world of chefs um and uh the third one we talked about he was gracious enough to come back for that one we're going to be talking today a little bit about chefs and great kitchens you know what does it take to make a great kitchen uh, and uh, we're grateful to have you back, uh, Chef Jason, to talk with us about that. But first, if you don't mind, maybe uh, would you give our audience a little blurb about what you're doing as an executive chef uh, right now with uh, the Performance Foods Group there in Little Rock? Absolutely. Yeah, Derry, it's a good question, too, because, um, you know, 23 years ago when I went through culinary school, I never thought that I would be working for a food distributor. You know, I, it was never on the horizon there. And there's so many culinary jobs out there now that aren't in the kitchen every day, you know, putting out dishes for customers. Not that that's a bad job, but there's just many, many other branches of culinary that you can get into. This one in particular, I work for Performance Food Service, which is a broadline distributor. We have everything from Brussels sprouts to Q-tips, anything your restaurant mm. would need, we have. And so people say, well, what do you mean you cook for them? Well, I mean, we have a test kitchen here and we bring customers in and those customers come in and let's say, you know, it's going to be Paul, Gary and Angie's catfish house. And so we would bring you in here. We'd go through uh, trending items. We would go through maybe some things that your, your competition is doing well that you want to brush up on and really just teach people how to make money in food service because it is a penny and nickel margin business. And so we're trying to help squeeze every single penny and nickel we can for our customers. Yeah. Wow. That's good. And you mentioned some words I've heard you say before. And, and I always remember when you talked about uh, something called um, uh, menu engineering, I go menu engineering, mm -hmm. you know, chefs do that. What, what the heck is that? So it sounds like you're back in, in an area you're very comfortable with you're, you're lending your experience to on that. Um, Congratulations on that. Glad you're back and doing that because the uh, the industry missed you, and 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 you bring you bring a lot of value there. So th it's that's just wonderful hard to hear. It's hard to get out of culinary. You know, I, when <laughs> I did quit or left it, and then I started my own podcast to talk to other culinary people. So it's it, once it's in your blood, it's very difficult to get out of it. Well, I can understand that, but you have the right passion, man. Yeah, you do so much <laughs> for that. Hey, today, uh, third podcast, what, what makes a, a, a kitchen great? You know, what, what do chefs, chefs do in, in, in accomplishing that? When I think of it, and, and I'm not in that industry, but I think of, oh, you, you need a great location and, and you need a lot of equipment, but certainly a great, quish, a great kitchen has a lot more uh, bones underneath it. So from, from your viewpoint, chef, what makes a kitchen great? Well, I think you hit on it in the previous conversation was passion. I mean, if you don't have passion for this, then you are in the wrong industry. It is, it is a, you know, we tell everybody um, and they say, Hey, I'd like to open a restaurant say, well, how about 
you give me a hundred thousand dollars and I punch you in the face. And that'll be about what it's like to open a restaurant. Right? I mean, because it's you're losing money and it's painful. I mean, it's so if you don't have passion for it, you are in the wrong business. But uh, and you know, there's there's so many jokes about it. You know, how do you make a small fortune in a restaurant? Well, you start with a large fortune. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's just it, you have to have the passion behind it, and then from there, you really have to be organized. And you know, culinary arts. Uh, art people normally aren't the most organized people. I mean, let's just face it. So a chef has to be left brain and right brain. We have to be, uh, you know, organized and we have to be bookkeepers and we have to be uh, responsible for those things. But then also we have to be creative in what we do. So it's a, I'm just, a, I'm like a Renaissance man, really. I mean, I, no, <laughs> no, it's, uh, but so other than the passion and the, um the creativity and the you know left and right brain piece of it uh you really have to have a good idea of what you want to do it's not going to be based on i have a great recipe of my grandmother's meatloaf it's going to be based on what am i going to be cooking who am i going to be cooking it for because ultimately that's going to play a difference if i took southern cuisine that we do here for every person in arkansas i brought it to idaho it may not be that successful because that is not what comfort food is for Idaho. And mm-hmm. the same, if you come down and open up a place down here and you don't have biscuits and gravy on your breakfast menu, they're going to revolt and never come to your place again. So really <laughs> we have to think these things through and it's a, it's a, it's a process. Yeah. You know, you have to yeah. start with uh, whenever somebody says, I want to open a restaurant. I say, well, start with your binder. I want to see your binder of every single piece that's in that restaurant how much the labor is going to be, how much the food's going to be, you know, what every little component there is in that binder, then we can look at brick and mortar. We have to get all those pieces together before we can ever look at opening your actual restaurant. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, I wrote sorry, down $100,000 and getting hit in the face. That's, that's what right, I remember most. Well, right I, also, uh, I mean, there's that statistic of uh, how many um, rest- new restaurants close their first year as well. It's pretty high. Um, over Very 60%, high. right? Um, right. Close their first year. Um, and I think, uh, I, Jason, maybe, you, you, and since you deal with uh, restaurants, you probably meet these type of people every single day that they have, they, they appear to have that passion and they start it um, and they start a restaurant. And then they, when they realize that they're cooking every single day and that's, that's what they're doing every day, they lose that passion. Because then it's no right. longer the thing they love. It's the thing they, they're working for. It's a wonderful way to ruin a good hobby. You know, to, yeah. <laughs> you think you want to cook and then you get mm-hmm. in there and you realize that, look, nobody has the passion you have toward this food. And you can't cook everything yourself. So you have to have a staff. And that staff is going to do things differently than what you imagine. You know, add seasoning that's not going to meant to be in there, the consistency piece. That's why we go to restaurants. Take McDonald's, for instance. They set the bar very low, but they hit it every single time, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and that's not even a joke. It's just what it is. And consistency is key in a restaurant because when you have that awesome burger, those awesome tacos, or maybe it is grandma's meatloaf, and you're like, man, I've got to go back. I'm going to get that thing. It was a special on Tuesday, and you go back, and it's just subpar the next time you'll never order it again. And so mm-hmm. that's where people get bogged down. 
is in the labor piece of it. That's why when I tell people a binder, I want all your recipes. I want, I want it to be as, as dummy proof as possible because I mean, I'm a cook. I'm, I'm speaking from experience. I'm a cook at heart. I, you know, learned to be a chef and cooks are lazy. We are the laziest group of <laughs> people on the planet. If there's an open container of cream right here, and a closed one right here, and you're supposed to grab the open one, but the closed one's closer, I'm grabbing it just because I'm mm -hmm. in a hurry and I'm lazy and I'm just getting the job done. And so it's it's interesting to watch these people come in. Now, you do find the ones that are extremely on it and they understand it and they never get involved in the trenches. They have that binder. They say, this is it. And they're very good managers. If you can manage a restaurant and run the restaurant and don't let it run you, that's where the rubber meets the road and you can actually be successful in this business. Hmm. So hmm. is, is that the most important thing in a kitchen is, is the w being well-managed versus everything else? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it is a business first and foremost, and no matter what business you're in, if you don't manage it properly, it's not going to be a business for long. And so you have to get in and understand how to manage the back of the house, which is a bunch of cooks, the front of the house, which is of a bunch of people who don't want to be cooks because they realize more money's in front of the house than there's back of the house. And then the overall aspect of it, because you think the margin for a restaurant is on a good operator might be 9% margin out of the entire wow. operation. And that is a, a fantastic operator. Most you're talking three to 5% margin on that. So you do the math on what it takes. If you're a mom and pop restaurant selling your dish is for $10.99, so $11 a pop, and you do 100 people a day. What's the math on that? You're not doing a million dollars a year. And then if you're not doing a million dollars and you're only making 5% of that, it's a lot of time invested to not get the return of investment on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm such a, a really great good. picture. <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and I, I think this is valuable information. The, the thing is, so uh, well, being well-managed is like one of the key things in a kitchen. Now uh, on the drastic, because you've seen many kitchens on the drastic mm -hmm. spectrum of, you know, well-organized drill sergeant type of operation versus chaos, everyone flying about. Do you still find that even you're in the kitchen chaos flying about, that's the better restaurant sometimes that rather than the drill sergeant uh, kitchen. So the better restaurant, the better food sometimes could be that because you have cooks that are in there. You have the owners that are in there. So the well-managed piece of it means that the owner normally is not the one who's in the trenches every day cooking on the line. They have put the right people in the right seats of the bus to make it go. And now sometimes the owners that are in there, you know, they only have to work half days. You just have to pick which 12 hours of the day you want to work. And so they're in there every <laughs> single minute that the restaurant's open. And so it may be chaos, but they're there every single minute. So the passion's there behind them. And so, yes, yeah, sometimes that's going to be the best thing. Hmm. Really so, good insight. So you've been doing this long enough and, and working with other restaurants long enough. Have you probably seen restaurateurs who lo lose their passion 
is there a formula for reigniting that? I mean, not everyone loses passion and that means the end. Sometimes don't they just need something to kickstart them off again? Sometimes. So um, you looked at, you know, the pandemic and that really put a damper on hospitality. Uh, the hospitality industry just went away for a little while. And a lot of people lost their passion then, of course. Now that's a hopefully once in a lifetime or multiple lifetime deals that we went through there. But uh, people who come back in it, if they truly want to do it, they just have to find what made them want to do it to begin with. And then possibly they can come in and see us uh, or other food service distributors that offer services like we offer and come in and we can help them. We can actually sit down with them and say, okay, look, let's break this up down of where you're struggling. Let's unpack all these things and see what solutions we can put in place. So yes, uh, it's a good question that would lead into what I do because I can reignite some of that passion by showing you convenience products that won't take all of your time in the kitchen. I can train your staff and it's, it's not unlike being a parent. I can tell my son a hundred times, this is how you do something and he will not do it that way. But then Paul or Angie or Gary might come over and then all of a sudden they go, Hey, dad, did you know you can do it this way? You go, yes, I've been telling you that a hundred times. And a staff <laughs> at a kitchen is no different because I'll come in as the chef and say, hey, this is what you do. And they go, well, that's cool. And the owner's like, I've been saying that for years. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we can definitely help through some of those problems. And really the passion will come back once they see that the operation is up and running and being profitable again, because normally when they're not making money, that's when the passion goes away. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, they're like just they feel that they're just struggling a battle uphill, pushing mm -hmm. that rock and not getting anywhere. And, um, you know, and especially if they have families that they're providing for um, that, that probably is an added factor if they're not seeing the outcomes they absolutely they expect. Yeah, sure. Hey, I mean, you because, know, we're go, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say most of the mom and pop operations that are out there, that is their livelihood. That is mm -hmm. where they have mm -hmm. all of their money tied up. Right, right. I was going to say, e even with this here, I mean, coming into a, a, a tremendous holiday season, is this a, a high pressure time for restaurants right now? I mean, are they trying to make edges meet or are they, because it's the holidays, getting a lot of traffic? They get a lot of traffic, but at the same time, it all comes back to management. So, for instance, we look at food cost, all right? And you ask somebody what food cost is, and good operators are going to know that food cost is not your cost of goods. So cost of goods is one thing. I buy my groceries from Performance Food Service, my performance invoice might be $1,000. That is my cost of food. My food cost, however, is what came in versus what went out. And that's where I get my food cost percentage. And so if you're not managing that properly and you don't know how much money you have per plate, so my plate cost on a cheeseburger and fries is $2.50. Well, if I'm only selling that for $5, that tells me I have a 50% food cost on the plate, which is not good, right? I have to pay all these other bills. So I need high profit items. So if, it may be that they are extremely busy, but they haven't priced their food properly on their menu. And so all the hard work is for nothing. If you don't mm -hmm. have your prices where they need to be to pay for these things, then you're not going to make any money. Okay, right. and that leads to my next question. Then, um, I mean, we've all heard, and we're all feeling a bit, a bit of inflation right now. Um, Absolutely, co costs have gone up. Um, are, are 
restaurateurs struggling with the fact that, hey, I need to raise my food prices, my, my prices, but I'm afraid of alienating my customers. Every single day. That is a problem that you face, especially in this uh, you know, inflation time. Restaurant owners, operators, everything want to raise the prices because they know that their case of ground beef costs them $10 more now, but they are afraid. They're saying, well, I already charged $10.99 for a cheeseburger. If I take it up to $12.99, is that going to scare my customers away? And the answer, the real answer is no, because people want to go out. They want to eat those meals out. Now, are they going to cut back and maybe not order a Coke? Maybe. Are they going to not do that coffee tomorrow morning? Maybe. But they're still going to go out and enjoy a meal. Maybe they'll split it. And so maybe your check average goes down, but you're still covering your costs. You're still managing a business. And so we have to take that emotional piece out and say, look, this is the math. This is what literally makes sense where I take this amount of money, I sell it for this amount of money, and all this profit here, I can pay my bills and pay myself with. And so, but on the other side of things too, then there's also cost for raising your prices because we all have menus in a restaurant. And now every piece of that menu that I have to increase, then I have to go reprint my menus. Now there's QR codes now and things like that, but let's face it, you know, the, I don't know, 40% of the population out there are people who may not be able to operate one of these to go get a QR code off a menu and so, or off a table. So it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword there. It costs me money to make more money, you know, so it's, or to pay my bills rather. So sure. yeah, so good questions. Yeah. 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 No. Um, yeah. I was out the other night and uh, with friends and uh, I came and I looked at it and it was higher and I don't know. I just, I shrugged it and it says, well, costs have gone up. Of course, it's going to cost, they're going to charge more money. That's, that's really, it. So of course, they're going to charge more money. Costs have gone up. That's interesting. Right. She must be a, a reasonable person. You <laughs> 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 must actually understand. Really, really, really. Like. You got to ask my coworkers. They don't seem to think so. Well, I'll tell you what, the um, groceries, I, I tell all my customers that come in here that ask the same question. Well, how do I raise my prices? What about my customer base? I say, you'd go tell them, well, haven't you noticed at the grocery store, your grocery bill has gone up? It's no different at a restaurant. Food is food, no matter how you buy it. And the prices have gone up, period. That's just how it is. Fine. Yeah, very good, very good. Uh, great insights on that. Uh, Angela and Paul uh, probably heard our timer no, go off. No, I'm sorry. No, we didn't no, get no, no. Everything. Oh, yes, it did. Well, before <laughs> we do go, um, Chef uh, Jason, uh, I'd love to have you take an opportunity just to say something about your podcast and let the people know how they might be able to reach out to you if they have a question, because you know, your wisdom is invaluable. I mean, we learn a lot every time we hear you talk here and, and your shows are, are just as important. Would you say a few words about how somebody could reach out to you and, and maybe check in on your podcast or ask you a question? Absolutely. Yeah. So thanks for the opportunity there. So if they want to ask a question, it is chef and podcast. So C H E F N podcast at gmail.com. And then that's the name of the podcast as well. So it's on Spotify, it's on Apple podcast and on Google. So it's chef and podcast with chef Jason Knapp. So uh, tune in. I've got a lot of great guests on there, a lot of awesome chefs and other people from around the country. So uh, it's a, it's a good one. 
ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for doing that. You know, and and every time you come on, I, I think uh, I think those are great times. We I, I personally learn a lot. But today we were talking about you know what makes a a kitchen great, and and you covered some essentials. I think that apply to many businesses. But you know, somebody's got to be organized. They got to have passion. You know, they have to be uh, willing to to work hard and just demonstrate that two brain thing of creativity and and being able to manage. Great kitchens uh, need all those same elements. So thanks for reminding us about that. Uh, and then don't forget, if you want to make money, you got to be willing to take some of that pain, including if you don't do it right, you're <laughs> going to get slapped in the face for that $100,000 you just spent. So what That's a right. great example that is. Uh, super catching up with you again, Chef Jason. Awesome thank you for this. Uh, thank you to all the audience as well. Paul, Angela, maybe we ought to wrap this up. Yeah, I can't um, believe that the time is up already. It went by so quick again. Uh, I, I know. So I, once again, we we're shoving like, uh, you know, like what should be a two-hour conversation to twenty minutes. <laughs> That's great. I love it. It just means we have to have some more of these down the road. We we do. We, we definitely we we definitely need to have you back on, Jason. It's always great to have you back on. I, again, I feel I feel like you're part of the family and uh, you know that that guest co-host. Well, you um, know how family does it. I'll just self-invite myself back whenever I want to. Right? Anytime, <laughs> anytime, Jason. Anytime. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, you're hearing the best, everybody, from uh, Chef Jason Knapp, and he's in Little Rock, Arkansas, working with uh, Performance Foods uh, Services and. Uh, does he speaks exactly for uh, what he teaches his customers out there thank you for doing that thanks for being on i'll let angela and paul close it out and thank everybody. you so much for being on today really yeah. appreciate everything you always contribute to the show uh, oh Gary? i contributed nothing because i was just listening so today <laughs> it, was, it was so interesting but thank you so much for having me again uh, my significant other owns co-owns a restaurant. So okay. what Jason is saying, I have heard from him as well. Like, sure. so it's so interesting. It's mm. so thank you again, Jason, for being My on. My pleasure. Thank you all for having me. Yeah. Hey, um, Gary, thanks again. Again, mm -hmm. as always, I say this, every, I can't do this without you, man. Um, and awesome. if anyone wants to get a hold of us here at uh, Continuing Education Workforce Training, you can uh, email us at cetrain at isu.edu. You can visit our website at cetrain.isu.edu, and you can give us a call at the office uh, and check out all our programs that we run at 208-282-3372. Uh, Thank you so much, and everyone be safe out there. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Oh, yeah. Christmas yeah, coming. That's around the corner, man. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Thank y'all. See you later.